Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like great banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everybody, happy Monday. Congratulations on not killing yourself. It's rough out there. Welcome to the voices in our heads. My name is Christina Marie Hutchinson. Christina Mimi Hutchinson. Ooh, I want to change my middle name to Mimi. <laughs> Emphasis on the second me. Christina Mimi Hutchinson. Why the fuck did I just now think of that after 35 years on this fucking planet? I was just saying before we recorded. Life is so fucking dumb, isn't it? It's so stupid. Oh, my God. It's so stressful. But I will say something that's not stressing me out is this goddamn motherfucking weather. Holy crap. It's nice out. And I I woke up and I'm sore. Oh, God. I need I'm getting a massage after this. Holy shit. I'm so sore. You know, when you wake up with a with like a kink in your neck and you can't like you're like a you're like a dog humping a stuffed animal like you just can't stop fucking rubbing it like it's your clit like I just I'm in I'm just oh it hurts but I rode my bike here and it was so beautiful out that I'm like you know what despite my physical state which would normally put me in a crap mood it's so nice out that I everything's great even though life is still dumb at least we have nice weather and the seasons I'm so affected by the weather I'm so fucking affected by everything it's exhausting I don't like it either everybody who knows me okay I'm not like, woo, I'm so intense. This is a great existence. I would not choose it. But um, I do get seasonal depression. The first time it snows in the winter, I get really excited. And I'm like, wow, it's so magical. There's like magical fairies everywhere. And everything's great. And look how beautiful life is. We're like a little snow globe. And then by the time the snow turns dirty and it's in the sidewalks and I'm stepping in giant puddles uh, and it gets dark after 4 p.m., I just want to die. You know, so I'm really enjoying this fall weather. I love the fall. God damn it. As much as the winter makes me sad, 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 so sad. The fall and the spring make me it feel it's like my cocaine. It's my cocaine. Speaking of cocaine, you know, you you got you got an issue with drugs when you hear yourself bragging about an addictive drug that you don't like. And for me, it's cocaine. I don't like cocaine. And I love that I don't, I love that there's a drug that I don't have an issue with. No issues with cocaine. You could put a line in front of me and I'm like, cool, cute. You do it. I'm not going to do it. That's your cocaine. You do it. You, I would think I would love cocaine because the Adderall, but no, 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 I do not. It feels like I'm being chased by a pack of bears when I'm on cocaine and I, and like, there's like a snake in my body that I get to run away from. That's awful. Right. Also, most people on coke suck. Stop doing coke. Um, do shrooms instead. I have to issue an apology. I have to issue an apology for everybody with the baby on board sticker. Uh, I got it wrong. And you know what? I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong because life is dumb. Just fucking admit when you're wrong and we can all move on. You know what I mean? Um, the baby on board sticker, there is a point to them. Even though the Wikipedia page says it's to alert other drivers that you have a baby in your car. But there is a an additional purpose to these signs. And I, a lot of people DM me about them, which I, I like, I like that when I get something wrong, I hear about it. And I don't mind that because I've healed myself. Well, not all at all, but, um, 
I've done a lot of work on myself. And so criticism doesn't feel like uh, a sword going through my heart anymore, which is sick. What a better way to live, huh? And uh, so, yeah, so the baby on board sticker is also used to alert if is a little bleak, but if you get into a car accident, it's to alert the paramedics or the firemen, mm, firemen, uh, that there's a baby in your car. And if the baby's not in your car, you got to go look for that baby because maybe the baby flew out of the car. You know what I mean? The, the reason why I just jumped to a conclusion without looking it up and then ranting about it on here is because I see those stickers a lot and they ain't no baby on board. There's no baby on board. And then it made me think of a really creative Halloween costume idea where I could be dressed up as a baby on a surfboard and then a baby on board. And I was like, that's kind of funny. But then I remember the one year for Halloween where I was Elaine from Seinfeld and it was not a sexy costume. And I had so much FOMO because I went to this Halloween party and every girl that was there was dressed like a fucking whore. And it made me go, I, why didn't I dress like a whore? I hate, I never again, never again will I not be an absolute slut on Halloween. That's the fucking point for me. That's the fucking point. It's not creativity. It's not, you know, everybody gets their own thing out of Halloween. And that's informed by all the seconds of our lives from the moment we come out of our mother's womb till the moment we choose our Halloween costume. Our decision is personal and unique to us. Some people like being really creative with their Halloween costumes. And I say, good for fucking you. I, Christina Hutchinson, I just want to be a big old slut on Halloween. I want to dress like a whore because it's so fun and I don't feel weird about it, you know, because it's Halloween. It's whore season. So I got a whore costume. Oh, it's so whorish. It's fucking great. And I'm going to do it's a see through bodysuit and I'm going to have underwear on. And then I have these fucking crazy boots that I originally purchased because I took a sex workshop with Tristan Taramino, who suggested that everybody should have a pair of bedroom high heels where they only wear the shoes in the bedroom. And it is kind of fun to do sex stuff and be naked with just shoes on for some reason. That's really hot. And uh and so I bought these boots for that. But then when I bought this slutty costume yesterday, I was like, I got to, oh, well, those are outdoor shoes now because I need them for my whore costume. And when people ask me, what are you for Halloween? I'll be like, I'm a fucking whore. Thank you. Um, and I'm so excited. I can't fucking wait. So sorry about that. Sorry about, sorry to my sincerest apologies to anybody with a baby on board sticker um, for implying that you're a corny, basic Betty. Um that just wants people to know you have a baby, which honestly I can quite, I can understand. I was just trying to be funny, but um, there is a purpose and I hope no one gets into car accidents, even though people will, because that's what happens. I went to Utah. That's a fucking place. Um, I always, whenever I go to the middle of the country or whenever I go somewhere that's not Chicago, Texas, California, or New York or Florida, I don't know where it is in the country. I'm like, you could show me a map of the United States with no outlines of the states. I'll get it wrong. So I was in Utah and I was like, where the fuck am I? Utah is a lot farther west than I thought. <laughs> Man, I thought that shit was east. But the flight was four and a half hours. So I guess I should have... Uh, used that as some of my reasoning. Um, but anyway, Utah, I went to Provo, Utah, Provo shit. They, t they made fun of me at the show for pronouncing it wrong. And then I just pronounced it wrong on purpose for about 20 minutes. And I called it poo poo, poon poon, peep peep, pooty tootie, Utah. <laughs> uh, I wore my most Utah clothes, which was a button up plaid shirt 
with fringe on the bottom because I got to make it cute. You know what I mean? And then my boyfriend's uh, sweater. I'm just wearing his clothes now. What if? I love wearing clothes that I've never worn before. That's why I love Rent the Runway. But like when you have a boyfriend who lives with you or has stuff at your house, I'll just wear his stuff because I've never worn that before. This is his jacket. I'm wearing it right now. If I post a clip of this, which I will, you'll see it. Um, But I'm just wearing his clothes. I'm like, I think I'm a baggy clothes chick now. And then I forget to tell him that I'm wearing his clothes. And then I come meet him at a show or whatever. And he's like, oh, nice jacket. I'm like, ah, Sorry, I'm wearing your clothes. But Utah's cool. Utah's really cool. I like it a lot. Springville was where the the venue that I was performing at was Boxcar Comedy Club. If you live near Springville, Utah, fucking go. This is a it was a cool venue. I really appreciated the care that they gave the comedians. And if you're listening to this and you're a comedian and you tour and you I love these little tiny venues that are not in major cities a lot more, I gotta say than doing comedy in a major city comedy club. Not I, I love the major city comedy clubs, but there's something very special about a small town comedy club. And I feel like they deserve comedy more. You know? Us city folk. Oh, did you read this John Steinbeck book? <laughs> yeah, cool. We're all like, you know. But the fucking small town folks, they have a great sense of humor. And they deserve laughter more. Because I feel like they probably don't get it as much. Um, I really loved the area that I was staying in. The mountains in Utah are something else. But I will say there's a darkness to Utah. I don't know exactly what it is, but I felt it. Whew. My hotel, I got in early. I got in at 10 a.m. I didn't sleep because I my flight was like a, I don't know, I took off at like 6 a.m. What the fuck? And I brought Kevin. And so I landed at 10. My hotel room wasn't ready till 3. So I had a fucking, first of all, I dressed way too warm for the weather. Did not know it was going to be 72. And uh, so I had to walk around for four hours in a sweatsuit, sweating my face off with Kevin. But in this area, Provo, Pru Pru, Poon Poon, Poot Poot, whatever, Utah, um, great town, great town. It's where Brigham Young University is. Brigham Young started uh, Scientology. Nope, that was the other guy. That was Ron Hubble Howard, whatever. <laughs> They're all, life is dumb and nothing matters, but uh, it's not the name that I said. But um, Brigham Young, it's Mormonism, you know, Utah's Mormon country. And I got to say, I felt the darkness, not from the Mormonism, which I know there's darkness there, (laughs) but I felt it from the people and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. But and I was walking around and there was such beautiful homes. I love walking around small towns that I've never been to because I always imagine like, what would I do if I lived here Would that? If what if I had that house? What would I do that to the porch? You know, I always kind of, you know, my mind's always going and I was walking around and for every four houses that had beautiful fresh coat of paint, perfectly manicured lawns. There was one house for every four. And there's a lot of houses I was walking by. One of out of every, uh, for every four nice homes was just, there was a mattress on the porch. There was an RV rusted out in the driveway that, you know, they're using that as a pied-a-terre kind of thing. Not that, like they don't go camping. You know what I mean? That RV hasn't been out in a while. It's been parked there for a couple decades. Uh, and the windows have sheets in them instead of curtains. And you just, you look at the home and you're like, something bad is happening in that home right now. I know it. So that's Utah for you. Um, there was a beauty pageant at my hotel the last day I was there, which was really funny. Be- beauty pageants are so, f- there is for kids too. We, as a society, you know, we evolve when we grow and certain things that we do, we go, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Beauty pageants for kids. 
I don't want to sit and look at children on a stage in dresses and go, wow, that kid's so beautiful. That just doesn't feel right. But this beauty pageant is called Beehive Beauty Pageant. It's an all-natural beauty pageant. And this is from their website. All-natural beauty pageants provide an opportunity for kids to become more aware of themselves and all their natural beauty. That's eh, a weird way to say it, but whatever. I, I get it. I get where you're going. I get where you're going. The emphasis is on inner beauty rather than physical traits. It encourages kids to look beyond their own physical features and focus on their inner qualities. And and I was like, oh, okay. But that's actually bullshit because I walked through the lobby where this beauty pageant was happening and these bitches had makeup on, okay? I saw a three-year-old with blush. Her cheeks ain't that rosy naturally. What? what? You should be disqualified. This is bullshit. It's not, can we stop being gaslit from everything? Do you know? Um, I hate America, um, but I love it at the same time. And that let me, then I was thinking about beauty pageants and then I was thinking about plastic surgery. And then that made me ask, and Michael, I'll throw this to you. If if you're dating somebody and they want to get something done to their face, not Botox, but like a little lip fill or something with the nose or a brow lift or whatever, I'm like, I don't know why I thought of this, but I'm like, should you tell your bar- partner that you're going to get something done to your face? Or you just like change your face and then see if he notices? Like, would you feel like weirded out if somebody you're dating for years just came in with a new nose and didn't tell you? I mean, the nose thing, that's a little much. But like a lips or something, I don't know. But I'm like, I don't know, it's just something dumb I was thinking about. But have you ever dated a woman who got plastic surgery? I'm talking plastic surgery, you know, um, not, not just like a facial. Not that I'm aware of. No. Okay. And it should. Are you obligated to be like, hey, I'm going to change my face. I don't care if you care, but I'm just letting you know. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Yeah, just maybe. Oh, wait. Actually, I did. I did. Now that I think about it, I dated a girl that got a nose job and she did tell me, but she didn't. Have How'd to. she tell you? Well, I think it was it was semi-cosmetic, but it was primarily... Like oh a deviated septum bullshit something uh huh uh huh you know every girl who's told they got a deviated septum septum is like yahtzee I can get a nose job now yeah I got a deviated septum maybe I'll get a nose job one day just for the fuck of it because you know what life is dumb it don't matter it don't matter and I've been watching too many near death experience videos of people who've died and come back and they all say it's way better when you're dead dead in quotes because we never die. And I really, I've watched hundreds of these videos and they all say the same, a lot of them say the same fucking thing. And I'm like, you can't, ref- you can't, this is indisputable evidence. Okay. Um, anyway, I want to live in a glass house surrounded by trees. And you know what I want? I want a fucking goat. I want a goat. I want a llama. I want a well, I want rabbits, but they can just be like the rabbits that are already in the forest and they can like hang out. I want a pet fox because you can legally have a pet fox in New York. That's fucking cool. There's a girl I follow on Instagram who just saves foxes and it's so magical. And it's like, oh my God, are you actually Snow White? Fucking cool. So I was just thinking about that um, because life is dumb. And it's like, why wouldn't you have fun? You know, goals, creative goals, career goals are very important and I love them. And I and they give me life. They give me a life. And I love setting goals and seeing um, if I can achieve them. And I'll never want to stop doing that. But I also want to have half of my life be in the woods with a llama. And I want to be naked, not naked in the woods, but tits, no shirt. Titties out in the woods, shoes, 
because I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to cut myself. I don't want to cut my little feet. But um, yeah, I want half of my week every week to be tits out hanging with a llama in the trees. Is that so much to ask? Sign up for my Patreon, guys. Patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson. I'm actually redoing it this time and I've I've done, I'm redoing it. I did the work. I said I was going to redo it for a long time and I didn't. And then I just shamed myself um, for not doing it. Oh God, that made me realize I'm working with a spiritual lady and she does something called a timeline healing. It's very interesting. Look it up if you want to know more about it. But in a nutshell, there's a lot more to this. She basically like will heal people in their sleep and she'll she'll superimpose herself into their timeline at pivotal moments in your life where something happened that fucked you up. And so she did that for me and she sent me a voice memo the next morning. She was like, this is what I, this is what I saw. This is, you know, all that stuff. And uh, she said the main thing for me in this lifetime, she said, maybe it's even from another lifetime because it's so intense for you, is that you think you're a fuck up. You're like, I'm a fuck up. I'm a fuck up. I'm a fuck up. And I, I was listening to that voice memo and I was like, I, yeah, that, that could be, it didn't ring true. It, it rang true, but it, it didn't, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That that was the reaction that I had to it. And then like two days later, I was outside my apartment. I was like smoking or something. And I was like, oh, and it clicked. I'm like, that's why I fucking procrastinate. Because I tell myself that I'm a fuck up who can't get shit done. And then I watch myself not get shit done. And I go, see, Christina, you're a fuck up. I knew you were a fuck up. Fucking idiot. And I'm like, oh my God. That's amazing. So I'm going to do ayahuasca in a couple of weeks. Let's see if I can shake that old belief. I'm going to do ayahuasca in the woods. Very excited. Um, I'm very excited. Life is very stressful. Um, so that's why I want to be tit, tits out with a llama in the, in the forest. Um, and I've been really, it's really, the, the images on social media of the war, it's really tough. That's really tough. And I will not pick a side. All I will say is, I don't want anybody to die. If Hamas died, That'd be, that wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like, "Mm." but you know, it'd be better if you could just like jail them forever. But you know, I, cause I, an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye is never, it's, that's never going to work because then you just get addicted to revenge. And as somebody who loves revenge and holding a grudge and being very petty and being angry at someone for way too long, it's not healthy. It's not fucking healthy. Okay. So I, I've been, as I assume a lot of us have been inundated with, with visuals on social media of dead kids in rubble, like a kid's fucking hand hanging out of a collapsed building. It's so disgusting. I I can't, Oh my God. It's so fucked up. Right. What is being done to Palestine? It's so, it's so fucked up. And it's also fucked up what was done to Israel. It's, it's all fucked up. It's all fucked up. And I, it's really important to be united in how fucked up that is. And I think we can all agree that's fucked up. Even the people that are saying, if you're not pro-Israel, don't talk to me. Or if you're not free Palestine, you're dead to me. Nah, we got we got to cut that shit. We got to cut that shit. I understand your passion and it comes from a real place and it comes from an historical place. I get that. But it's not, the one of the most worrisome things about this whole war is that people are so sure they're right and they have polar opposite opinions. And that's scary. That's scary, but we could all unite on killing innocent people is awful. It's fucking awful. And I was smoking weed the other night going, how can we fix this? How can I, Christina Marie Hutchinson, come up with a solution? Stand-up comedian, 
author, podcast host, Christina Hutchinson, how can I contribute to world peace? And I did come up with two ideas. And hey, take them and run with them. Israel, Palestine, anybody? I don't know if these are... Well, I do think they are possible. They're just going to take a little thinking, you know? And I'm not here for that part. I'm here for the ideas part. And then you help me figure out how to do it. Here's what. Here's my first idea. I have two. And these are pretty out there. But, you know, you're here. So you know that you expect that from me. Uh, one idea. We give everybody fighting in the war a therapeutic dose of MDMA, including anybody involved in government. And God damn, if we can get a hold of Hamas and fucking force them to take some ecstasy and shut the fuck up and sit still, they're going to realize that their whole mission is bullshit. It's stupid. Stop killing the Jews, you dumb fucks, you dipshits. Sit your ass down for a fucking second and take some MDMA. Honest to God, I know that would work. I know that if we give these stupid fucks MDMA, they will actually have inner peace start to circulate in their system. I just know it. How how are we going to do that? I don't know. But Israel found a way to drop leaflets in Gaza, which didn't fucking help. But, uh, you know, we could find a way to give everybody MDMA. I really think that would work and help. I don't. The execution part, that's up to you, Internet. Take that idea and run. The other idea is there are groups of people, and this is far out there, but whatever, shut the fuck up. Uh, there are groups of people that go to specific places in the United States and I'm sure other places around the world and they meditate and they call in aliens. I know that sounds weird. I've seen the videos. I've been to the websites. I've almost gone to the retreats, but I was like, I don't, I got other shit. I want to do ayahuasca first. You know, you gotta, you gotta prioritize. And, um, they go to the desert and they, they, they meditate in a group setting, which is a very potent thing. Because Laura Lynn Jackson told me that in her workshop and in a scientist who was co-teaching the workshop said, mm -hmm. and Joe Dispenza, if you're familiar with him at all, he's all about like healing your body, healing an injury, healing an emotional issue by changing the energy that's circulating in your system. Like every organ in your body has a specific vibration. And that's that's a medical thing. That's not a woo-woo thing. And uh, And by meditating and really grounding yourself and being still and telling your mind to shut the fuck up, you actually have more coherence in the systems in your body. I highly recommend diving into Joe Dispenza's work. He's, it's very sciencey and a, a lot of it's over my head, but a lot of it's not. And it's the studies that he does are pretty impressive. And I know people, have, I've talked about him before and people are like, actually, he's full of shit. He might be full. Everybody's full of shit, but his dad is pretty good. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't poo poo Joe Dispenza. Uh, anyway, this, these group of people, they meditate and they bring aliens in because they get in this specific vibration when they're meditating in a group. Look it up. It's real. Okay. And they cut and they see the, they see the lights and all that stuff. If we could go near Gaza and do that and have alien spaceships come down, I mean, that would get a ceasefire. Am I right? You know, because everyone's so busy going, here's this missile. Here's, oh, fuck you, Jews and fuck you, Palestinian. And everyone's so, oh, I'm going to kill you. But then uh, can you imagine an alien spaceship hovering right over, right over wherever Israel's launching their bullshit ass rockets from and wherever Hamas is doing their dumb terrorist shit. We got aliens, we got meditators, and then the aliens come down and then they drop their guns and they go, 
what the fuck is that? And then for at least a brief few moments, there would be a ceasefire. Mm. And and everybody guarding, like not letting people out, they'll be distracted and everybody can get out. So I know it, it, it's it's a lot of genius in one head, guys. But uh, take it in, figure out how to execute it, and let's go, you know? Okay. Do you know, do you know who, uh, I'm going to get, I got to get to this book. Oh, and I got to, oh God, I always, uh, there is a politician that exists on this planet that isn't full of shit. And I can't believe it because I was really stressed out about the war stuff. It's so awful. It's so sad and heartbreaking. And so, it's so fucking dumb. It's so dumb. Oh, it's so dumb. It's senseless. But. Uh, and, and the whole, the politics in America, it's just, it's, it's awful. And if fucking Trump wins, like, we're all, let's all move. Like, it, it, the motherfucker has been indicted for 87,000 things. Like, and if he wins, I'm like, that's, I can't write that Christopher Guest movie. That is too, it's too, it, <clears throat> there is a man named Chank Ugar. Jank Ugar, Jank, because I remember I just looked up a video how to pronounce his word, uh, his first name, and it's like Jank, like Jenkins, and I was like, like Stephen Jenkins of Third Eye Blind, he loves guys he fucked. Um, I'll never forget that. Um, Jank Ugar, I'm gonna spell this for you. C E N K. That's how you spell. That's how you spell his first name. Jank, like Jenkins, like Stephen Jenkins of Third Eye Blind. Love you, Stephen. Um, Ugar. His last name is spelt U. Y G U R. He is the creator of the Young Turks. There's a news organization on YouTube. I think that I don't think they're on TV. This motherfucker, Jank for for America.com, C E N K for, you know, F O R, America, you know, spell that one, dot com. He's running for president. I watched a video of him talking to Pierce Morgan, and he delivered the most heartfelt, bullshit free plea about what's happening in Gaza that I've ever heard. And he was so passionate and he's so, and he said this in another, then I just kept watching interviews with him. And he really, he really speaks with his heart and he's so angry at what's going on. And he's like, I'm a fucking bull and I'll never stop. And I know that about me. I would fucking love to debate Joe Biden. I would love to, Joe Biden is on the verge, if he already hasn't had 18 strokes, I can't watch Joe Biden talk. He's going to fall. I feel like he's going to fall over when he talks. He can't say words. I'm like, are you, you're having a stroke, dude. He can't be, dude, he can't be president. Biden, he's old. We can't, we got to have, we got to put a cap on the age. We, I really think we should. That motherfucker's too old. Um, so he made, he, he watch interviews with him. That's all I'm going to say. I never witnessed. He lit me on fire watching him speak. That's how, that's how honest he was and bullshit free he was. And you just, you realize how rarely you hear that from anybody who wants to be involved in the government ever. Um, AOC, I remember when she was running and went, ran and then everybody's like, she's a witch. And then all these Republicans hated her and stuff. I was paying attention to her and I'm like, wow, she really speaks with like a grounded tone. Thank fucking God. We need more grounded people. Our nervous systems are fucked. Help us, you know, figure out a way out of this shit storm hell woods that we've landed ourselves in. Um, but yeah, Chank Ugar is a really interesting, powerful, 
exciting person. Um, and I am going to, I don't, I don't sign up to volunteer for political campaign. I've never have never been interested in it. You vote, but like, I don't care about that. This guy, I actually, I'm like, I would, I'll canvas for you. I'll go fucking door to door. You are, you are a wise motherfucker, sir. And I really appreciate you. And he's no bullshit and he curses and he talks like a real fucking person. And I got to say the people like the, all the interviews you see of, at Trump rallies of like a dude on a motorcycle who's never voted a day in his life, but he got up and registered to vote because he heard Trump talk. And he's like, no one talks like that. Finally, somebody like me, even though Trump doesn't give a fuck about you. But you found that out later, I'm sure. Uh, but they were they were really turned on by the fact that Trump wasn't like, I he's a dumb fuck, but I get it. I get that. This guy, Jank, I think he has the power to make both sides like him. He is he is so bullshit free. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm like, thank God he's running. That's so exciting. So I just want to make you aware of him. Go look up videos of him. Okay, guys. You know what it's time for? It's time for some motherfucking fuckboy theater. <laughs> to talk till it's over and that's really hard for me because I want to talk. Okay. This guy's profile, his name is Daddy. He's 42. His job is... Oh, shit! I didn't know this until now. Okay, so his job is CEO at Your Emotional Issues. His college education, Brigham Young University. Well, goddamn. That's very interesting. I didn't see that. I didn't notice that until now. Um... Let's read. What kind of voice do I want to do for daddy? Okay. I want to read his bio. Oh, let's see. Okay. I got to. Okay. <clears throat> Was that a baby? All right, anyway. All right. I'm going to read this guy's bio. His name's daddy, which I'm sure is like his legal birth name. It's just daddy. No last name. Just daddy. Thanks, Brigham Young University. Uh, if you're worried about height. I'm worried about anal on the first date. This is his bio, by the way. Neither of us are looking for love. I'm looking to do weird stuff till you bore me. Water sports are a plus. Face it, you have daddy issues. I have a clean medical history. We are mad for each other like paper license plates. Temporary. If you've made it this far, you're either horrified or you aren't emotionally damaged enough to be offended. Not interested in your axe throwing, yoga poses, or exotic local pics. Fully vaccinated. I mean, what a range, daddy. What a range. This is another guy's bio. His name's Will. Oh, God, that, that face does not look good. That face, if, if a school shooter had a face, which they do, it would look like Will's, I gotta be honest. Uh, his bio says... I'm just here to tug, punch, fart boxes. Tattoos, guns, Harleys, bacon, America. If you don't like beards, just keep it moving. I work as the naval ship repair technician. I'm one of the nicest assholes you'll ever meet. Okay, that's his bio. 
Okay. And then I'm just going to read like one conversation, you know, actually two, because these are fucking atrocious. All right. This is between a piece of shit named Brandon and some perfect angel woman who's probably never done anything wrong. And she's like perfect and amazing. He goes, fuck me, bitch. And then she says, crying, laughing, face emoji, crying, laughing, face emoji. Are you okay? And then he says, no, but yes, because I'm bored. Wiggy face. Like, are you fucking with me or are you being serious with this fuck me bitch? No, sorry. It was probably a sexual impulse because you're cute. LOL. Didn't mean it in a negative way. Probably the way I was raised. Crying love you, baby emoji. Actually, wait, I take that back. I'm not sorry ever. If anything, you should be typing me stuff like that. 100 emoji. I changed my mind, though, because I'm not a sex toy. Sorry. I got 191 matches. LOL. I'm just fucking with people. Okay, Brandon. I hope I, I wish you love and light, Brandon. Love and light. Um, you should do a therapeutic dose of MDMA. You should. Okay, this guy is a piece of shit named Justin. <laughs> and he's talking to some perfect angel lady. Uh, I don't know her name, but it doesn't matter. He says, in response to this girl's uh, bio, which says kinky friendly. Kinky friendly, huh? Winky face? Is that an invitation to do whatever? No. Punches you in the jejunum. J-E-J-U-N-U-M. Whatever. Fuck off. Ha ha ha. What the fuck is going on here? Are you okay? And then he puts the, he, his next two texts or his last two texts are, have the stars on either side. So it's like indicating that he's doing an action. Pushes you to the ground and slaps your face playfully. Spits in your mouth and calls you by dirty slut. And scene. Thank you so much. That's been Fuckboy Theater. And now a word from our sponsors. All right, sponsors. Thanks for sponsoring. I got to read you something, guys. Okay, I don't have that much time. Um, I have to 109, right? Or 209, is that what you said? Uh, you got to like 215. Oh, shit, bitch. Okay. Andrea, Andrea might come in and make herself comfortable. Just be aware. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> this is informal as hell. And guess what? Life is dumb. Yeah. Okay? Life is so dumb. <laughs> Just have fun. Oh, wait, I got to say one thing. I got to say one thing. I really, I got to say one thing. Life is dumb. And I love that about life. Sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I love it. But I feel like we forget to have, we forget to have dumb fun. You know what I mean? Because we're always like stressed out. We can't stop thinking about, you know, the state of the world or healthcare or the political system or our failing bodies or the environment or student loan debt. You know, there's so much to want to die over um, that we forget that you can just say fuck that and be silly and stupid and have fun in your own home by yourself or with a partner or with your kid. Um, Here are two activities I came up with. One you could do in your home. One you have to do it outside your home. But one is, and it's just dumb shit. Just, just, it, it means nothing. There's no therapeutic value. It's just stupid shit you could do to go, ha, 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 and forget about the world for a while. Um, see if you can make your bed while you're still in it. That's pretty fun. So next, whenever, when you wake up next in your bed, try. It's really fun. And it's funny. And you laugh at yourself. And if you have a dog, your dog looks at you like you're a fucking idiot. But like, try to make your bed by staying in your bed. 
It's a fucking challenge and it's cool and you can have fun with it. And another stupid ass thing you could do is rollerblade or go jogging, but go, you know, in like a bike lane, ideally, or like a lane. So you're not in the road, but like when go opposite a lane of cars so that the cars are coming towards you and just fucking wave at them. Like you're a kid and you saw your favorite Disney character at Disneyland and you're like so happy to see them. Just wave to them like you're a fucking idiot. And it's so funny and fun. And you don't know what they're thinking. And it's kind of like an exercise and like not giving a fuck what anybody thinks. And you just next time a car goes and you're rollerblading, you're jogging, just go, hi. Oh, my God. Hi. And you just you're like, this is so fucking stupid because life is stupid. So be stupid. Anyway, I just had to get that off my chest. All right. Okay. Chapter four. Let's get into it. Why won't you apologize? Healing big betrayals and everyday hurts by Dr. Harriet Lerner. I'm going to read some stuff from chapter four. This this um is a little bit personal to me, so um, you'll see why soon. Uh, chapter four, apologizing under fire. How to handle big time criticism. I, you know what? As I get older and as I heal, I don't mind criticism. It doesn't feel like 18 knives stabbing me in the face when it's cold and rainy and I don't have any clothes and I'm starving because that's usually what it felt like but it doesn't anymore. Yay. Thanks, Ayahuasca. Well, I haven't done that yet. It's difficult enough to offer an apology when we see the need for it and believe it is the right thing to do. It's far more difficult still when, we've confront, when we're confronted with criticism we didn't see coming and that we don't believe is fair. Oh, yo. <laughs> you want to get a reaction out of me? Criticize me over something that I don't think I do or that I don't think is fair and I'll, you, won't, you won't hear the end of it. Some criticism we receive will undoubtedly come from the other person's reactivity rather than our bad behavior. And how do you tell the goddamn difference? Discernment. It's what's for dinner. No one likes being on the receiving end of criticism, but we can't avoid it unless we see mute, sit mute in a corner. People are bound to criticize us for the same reasons we criticize them. They feel badly about themselves and reflexively get judgmental or lash out. They may have a misguided wish to be helpful and contribute to our betterment. (laughs) Or we have a trait, quality, or behavior that bothers them enough that they really do need to talk about it or it will affect the relationship. I guess that's true. They may feel feel quite accurately that the relationship can't move forward if we don't consider our behavior and apologize for it. That's fair. It is incredibly difficult to sit on the hot seat and dial down our defenses when we are the target of criticism that feels overdone or entirely undeserved. Yes, it is. But as the story of Catherine and Dee will illustrate, a lot can be learned from the challenge. We can learn to listen differently, to ask questions, to apologize for the part we can agree with and define how we see things differently. Ooh, that sounds fun and like a way out of the woods. A genuine apology can be deeply healing, while the failure to listen well and apologize can sometimes lead to the loss of a relationship. Yeah, it fucking can. Unearthing Old Pain, Catherine and D. It was Christmas Eve. D who was 26 years old, had driven four hours to spend time with her mom, Catherine, who had divorced Dee's dad when Dee was nine. They were cleaning up after a small party Catherine had thrown when out of the blue, Dee turned to her mother and said those dreaded four words. We have to talk. 
Ugh. Ooh, my bones are quivering. I hate that fucking sentence, even if I'm reading it hypothetically. Dee's timing wasn't great, and her list of grievances were devastating. She accused Catherine, who's her mom, as a reminder, the of neglecting her around the time of the divorce and noted that her own suffering had gone entirely unattended because, in Dee's words, you were too narcissistic to get over yourself and take care of me. And we're really throwing around that narcissism word a lot. And sometimes it's deserved, but sometimes I'm like, meh. I just don't think you like the person. She held her mother's responsible for her, Dee's, problems with men and for her bleak prospects of future relationships. I mean, that's that's being a victim. She also blamed her mother for her father's drinking after their divorce. She mentioned that she had uncovered these insights in therapy, <laughs> which Catherine happened to be paying for. Ouchies, huh? Catherine came to see me in therapy two months later. When she told me the story, she was shaking with rage. And she said that at the time of Dee's confrontation, it took everything she had not to attack back, which I assume that sentence means she didn't attack back, which that means Dee has a very emotionally mature mom. So fuck you, Dee. Be happy for that. Trying to hold it together, Catherine had offered the closest thing to an apology that she could muster. She said, I'm sorry, Dee, that you've had such a hard time with the divorce. I never meant to hurt you. I did the best I could. So whatever I did wrong, I'm sorry. Then she said goodnight and went to bed. Decoding a faux apology. Given that Catherine was blindsided by the attack, it's no surprise that she offered a classic non-apology. In case you didn't recognize it as such, here's a translation. I'm sorry, Dee, that you had such a hard time with the divorce. Really translates to, your reaction to the divorce is the unfortunate problem here. Ooh, I love that. I never meant to hurt you. That translates to, I'm a good person and I didn't do anything wrong. That does fuck. It, it feels like that when someone says that. You know? I've said that to people though, so sorry. Uh, I did the best I could. Translates to, and what more can you say to that? So whatever I did wrong, I'm sorry. Translates to, if I did something wrong, I'm clueless about what it is, but I'm sorry, so let's move on. This analysis is by no means a criticism of how Catherine handled herself. It is remarkable she didn't strike back. I agree. Who among us would have done better under these circumstances? Not me. Not your girl. I'd freak out and cry and call her a bitch. What's going to, who's going to apologize first? Catherine told me that there had been zero communication between her and Dee since this devastating confrontation, and she had no plans to initiate contact. I said I was sorry, Catherine told me, and now I'm waiting for Dee to apologize for her outrageous attack. But... If Catherine was waiting for her daughter to apologize first, I suspect that she would be waiting a very long time. Catherine's pseudo-apology, I'm sorry you had such a hard time with the divorce, and cliched excuse, I did the best I could, certainly wouldn't be satisfying to her daughter. Dee had apol hadn't apologized yet and might never do so. I asked Catherine what she wanted her relationship with Dee to look like by next Christmas or, say, five years in the future. For how long... Could Catherine tolerate having no contact with her daughter? Weeks, months, years? I mean, I would say the fact that Catherine is in therapy to begin with is pretty promising. However, I added that part if you're listening to this and not watching. However, she chose to respond to her daughter, whether through, <clears throat> whether through words or silence, would either de-escalate the situation or intensify it. If Catherine had stayed focused on getting her daughter to apologize first, nothing might have changed at all. It didn't take too long in therapy before Catherine told me that she was afraid of losing her daughter. Oh, that's nice. 
Like you said that she doesn't, that she's pissed at you and you want to do something about it. That's nice. As she, I'm fine. As she explored her options, she realized she was still too angry to pick up the phone and she certainly didn't feel like apologizing for her bad mothering. Nor did I encourage her to apologize because any apology Catherine offered from a position of anger and distance would have been false and entirely without meaning. As Catherine's therapist, I wanted to help her calm down and think about the bigger picture. Breaking a multi-generational pattern. As Catherine talked in therapy about family interactions across generations, it was clear that mothers and daughters had not fared especially well. The pattern was one of fighting on this one hand or distance and cutoff on the other. Did Catherine want to follow this tradition with Dee? Obviously, both mother and daughter had a lot at stake. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Mother and daughter is a pretty fucking important relationship, huh? Dee's behavior was way out of line, perhaps the result of so many years of never giving voice to her anger and pain. But here is the real point when it comes to the challenge of apologies in family relationships. If our intention is to have a better relationship, we need to be our best and most mature self rather than reacting to the other person's reactivity. (sighs) Also, some of the other person's complaints will be true since we can't possibly get it right all of the time. Only after we can hear our children's criticism and anger and are open to apologizing for the inevitable hurts and mistakes that every parent makes, we can expect to be truly heard by, can we expect to be truly heard by them? We need to be able to listen before we get our own message across. Good advice for any relationship. Now I want to, now I want to say, Catherine, she was an, she's an attorney, which is pretty sick. So she's pretty, you have to be a, a little emotionally intelligent immature to be an attorney not all of them i know but you know and she's in therapy so i I, those two factors alone separate her from a lot of parents um at least mine um so this is the letter she wrote her daughter and i just want to read it because when i read it i was like god damn it that's good and it's really hard when someone's pissed at you their anger's coming from somewhere whether it's your fault or not it's a really powerful thing to go I'm so sorry. And then you don't say anything after that. You don't go, but I'm sorry. Or I'm sorry. Just, I'm sorry. You just say, I'm sorry. That's it. Is that hard? I'm sorry. Look, I just did it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the letter that Catherine wrote her daughter D after a, a, a long period of silence where D lashed out on her that Christmas Eve. And it's just fucking beautiful. And it makes me realize, like, people who are bad at apologizing, like, it's because you haven't been taught how to fucking apologize and how to listen. I certainly haven't. No one taught me how to apologize. If I'm learning from example, based on what I grew up with, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. I'm so glad I discovered this book. Okay, so this is the letter. This is what I want to end with. This is the letter that Catherine wrote to her daughter, and I'm just really blown away by the fucking maturity. And it's good. Okay. Dear D, I'm sitting here on the red couch wondering how you're doing. I've continued to think about your last visit. I'm sorry things got so intense between us. I assume from your silence that you need more space at this time. I appreciate the courage it took for you to share your feelings so directly with me. I want to have the kind of relationship in which we can talk openly, something I never had with my own mother. 
I was never able to tell her when I was angry with her and I never stood up to her. Maybe that's why I felt so unprepared to handle conflict between you and me. My mother told me that she and her mother were always fighting and they stopped speaking to each other for years. So she and I reacted to that bit of history by doing the opposite and never letting a difference arise between us, which made for a pretty superficial relationship. As I think about how things went between mothers and daughters, I realize how much I hope that you and I can have a different kind of relationship. I've been thinking about the people in our family who aren't speaking to each other. I can't imagine anything more painful than that happening between you and me. Let's try when you're ready, and I'll do my best to listen. Love, Mom. Um, And then these are just the good things about the letter that the author states. Just in case you're like, that's good. It makes me feel good inside. But why exactly? You know, you got to intellectualize it and really like get in there. Catherine focused on herself. She was there was no implied criticism or blame. Very important. She didn't request or demand a particular response from D. That's pretty sick. She brought in the frame around the issue of mothers and daughters. Sick. She stood for connection without getting preachy. Love that. You didn't you didn't hear any preachy vibes. And it wasn't an excuse when she said, like, the mothers and daughters in my family. She wasn't like, so you could clearly see why I reacted that way. She's like, hey, this has been happening historically and I don't want it to happen anymore. The tone of that is two different worlds, you know? She didn't overload the circuits by going on too long. And she didn't push for contact before D was ready. I thought there was another letter that she wrote, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's just... We got to learn how to apologize because apologies. Oh, wait, there's one sentence here. Um, hap- apologies are soothing and healing for the other person. And I read that sentence in this book somewhere. And I was like, that's so nice to just like want to soothe somebody and provide them with a little bit of healing. That's so nice. And that's why I think we should give everybody who fights in the military or works in a government office MDMA because then they'll realize that too. Or... um if the ceasefire never happens, we're going to go and meditate for aliens to come down so everybody will drop their weapons and go, what the fuck is that? And then there'll be a little bit of a ceasefire. And aliens, I know you have better technology than us. And I feel like you could probably do some cool tricks where you turn off all the rockets and nukes and you disable everybody's guns. What if what if you did that? Help us from save us from ourselves, aliens. That's one of the reasons why I'm really into aliens. All right, guys. What a time. You know, what a time to be alive. What a time to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to be the voice in your head. Uh, I love you very much. I'm going to be in uh, Chicago with Kevin headlining Zany's Zany's Comedy Club November 10th and 11th. I'm going to be in Nashville, Tennessee, one night only at Zany's November 12th, also with Kevin. And I have a Patreon where I host group therapy four times a month over Zoom. And uh, you should sign up for it because it's really good. And if you can't make any of the Zooms, you, uh, all the audio gets recorded and uploaded to Patreon afterwards so you can listen in on it. And um, I think it's pretty it's a nice healing space because being seen and heard is very potent and it feels like everyone's yelling at each other. So this is a nice little space where you can just say what you want to say and you're seen and heard by strangers. And mm, that's pretty nice. OK, congrats on not killing yourself, guys. Have a great motherfucking day.